Is there a tough conversation you know you need to have, but you're afraid? True candor, in my mind, is putting love first, love for the other person to benefit everyone else and at an appropriate time. Whereas candor on social media is, is any time benefiting myself, <laughs> unloving. So it, it's almost the complete opposite. Welcome to Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Today, Chaplin and author Charles Causey says you can learn how to speak the truth and have hard conversations if you can do it with love. That's the operative word, but how do you achieve that? We'll find out today. And if you go to the website, fivelovelanguages.com, you'll see our featured resource, Chaplin Causey's book, Candor, The Secrets of Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Again, you can find it at fivelovelanguages.com. Gary, I can't tell you how important this topic is to me personally, because this is a real struggle, I think, not only for me, the family, but in the culture, wanting to tell the truth, but at the same time, not wanting to needlessly offend. Well, I think you're right, Chris. I don't think any of us want to intentionally offend people. At the same time, if we don't speak honestly and openly with people, uh, the relationship's not authentic. And we're really not loving them. I mean, love seeks to speak the truth. But it's speaking the truth not to get something off my chest, (laughs) but speaking the truth because I believe this would be helpful to the other person. So a lot has to do with attitude. But I'm excited about our conversation today. I am too. Let's meet Chaplain Charles Causey. He is a recipient of the Bronze Star for his military service in Iraq, the author of several books, including Words and Deeds and Unbreakable, Forging a Marriage of Contentment and Delight. He and his wife, Lori, have four children, two who serve in the military. He's a graduate of the University of Colorado. He holds several advanced degrees. He formerly served at the Pentagon as a senior army chaplain for the chief of chaplains in Washington, D.C., and he is currently serving as a command chaplain in Honolulu, Hawaii, where he joins us from today. His book is Candor, and it's our featured resource at fivelovelanguages.com. Well, Chaplain Causey, welcome to Building Relationships. Oh, thank you so much. I want to start out and just say thank you for having me on your show. I think uh, a lot of you and, and, and your books and have used them in ministry so much, and uh, it's really an honor to be here. Well, we are delighted to have you. Give us a flyover of your life and how you became a chaplain in the first place in the military. Sure. I was. I, I, my wife and I were in full-time ministry. We were serving with crew on a, a university campus, and then I became an associate pastor in a church in rural America and ended up, because I hadn't gone to a great school like Moody Bible, I (laughs) felt like a good salesman should know his pots and pans. So I found myself in seminary and it was there that I came across an uh, army chaplain recruiter who said, hey, why don't don't you sign up and and, uh, join the military as as a chaplain? And so I gave it some thought and took him up on it. So I became an army reserve chaplain. And after seminary, I was a church planter. Meanwhile, Lori and I were having kids and, and trying to hold life together and everything. But I, it, it worked out pretty well until, you know, the Iraqi war and then the surge. And then they just, they needed, chaplains were going two or three times. And I felt like, wow, this is going to happen to me. And sure enough, uh, I got deployed over to Iraq and then uh, came back and felt the call to go full-time. So I've been an active duty 
chaplain since 2006. Well, that's exciting. I'm sure you've had many, many experiences uh, <laughs> in several different places during that time. Yes, sir. It, it has been exciting. We uh, well, we told the kids we left kind of the family farm in Minnesota where we were church planning, and we told them we we're going to see the world. And we ended up just seeing the I-95 corridor for the most part, you know, up and down the <laughs> East Coast. And as soon as their last child graduated from high school, we got this Honolulu, Hawaii assignment. So they weren't too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris mentioned that two of your children are serving in the military. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, at first blush, we're very honored, very excited to have children that that serve uh, the country, United States and the military. But um, it's a little petrifying, to be honest. You know, when you, when, you, when you serve yourself, you feel like, well, you can kind of control aspects of, you know, being in danger or your assignment or things. But when you have your kids, you feel like, you don't have as much control mm. and you can't, if they were to go to war or this or that. And it, it, it's, a, it, to be perfectly honest and having candor, it's a little terrifying, yeah. but, but it is, it, it's humbling because we know they're not, you know, they're, they're God's children and God has no grandkids and we're just stewards of them for a few years. Yeah. When you know that they know Christ and they're walking with him, the ultimate, <laughs> whatever happens, they're in God's hands. Absolutely. And we have to trust him for everything we do every day. So that's, but that's just something that pulls at your heart, as you know, with kids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The book we're talking about today is entitled Candor. Uh, First, define that term for us. Well, the word candor, the Latin derivative of that word uh, root is candere. And it's where the word candle comes from. So the original meaning of candor is to bring light on a situation. My definition is forthright honesty and truth. So it's it's really emphasizing the truth part and honesty. And in olden times, it used to mean being a gift for somebody. It, you were giving them a part of yourself or a gift, a good gift, when you were honest mm. with them. And we've kind of lost that in today's society. Now the word sometimes means you know, bullying, being yeah. arrogant, pushy, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, where did you personally get the idea of, of the importance of candor and, and writing a book on the topic? Well, in the military, the word I believe is used more frequently than it is in regular society because I've had commanders who have told me, Kazi, you owe me candor. Hmm. And what they mean is, you know, we want the bottom line up front, what's really happening here. And there's kind of an expectation of that. And so it, sometimes when I gave them candor, they didn't like it. They said, don't ever say stuff like that again. Well, it's like, well, you, you know, you asked me to be, have candor with you. But as I thought about, you know, my military career and my life as a pastor beforehand, I'd served for close to 10 years as a, as a minister before going in the military. I, I really believe that it, it's an important topic that we shy away from some, we, maybe hide our true emotions and feelings. And I just, one morning I was, I was driving to my dad's and just having kind of a quiet time in the car. And I just, I just felt like, wow, this, this would be a really interesting topic to, to write a paper on or a book on or an article on. And as I was writing, I I kind of drew out some things and I thought, wow, this is, this is a little more than I thought. I think I could maybe write a whole book. And that's Mm -hmm. how that came up. 
Yeah, it's always amazing to me how ideas come to writers and and then, you know, you, they flesh out as you reflect upon uh, the topic so forth. Uh, you know, part, part of this whole issue of, uh, of speaking the truth to another person is sometimes what we perceive to be truth is not necessarily truth to everybody else. Now, I'm, t- I'm thinking right now about uh, the, the social media. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. pe- people, you know, they, they speak their mind. Uh, and, and there's candor uh, in terms of, you know, speaking what they believe to be truth, but other people don't think that is truth, and then they speak the truth. Uh, where does all that fit in? <laughs> well, I, I make a distinction in my book between societal candor and true and healthy candor. And so, so societal candor with its, you know, bullying brashness, arrogance. It, it's, I say that your, your candor is either going to be tied to your character or to your ego. I, I make that distinction. I think it's really important because a lot of times what we see on social media is kind of a, a bullying or a, you know, this is, this is the, the smartest position to take. Why wouldn't anybody have this position? And I don't really think that's candor. I, I, I think there's other words for it because true candor in my mind is putting love first. That's that's such mm-hmm. an important part of candor is to do it with a loving attitude, love for the other person to benefit everyone else and at an appropriate time. Whereas candor on social media is, is any time, you know, benefiting myself, <laughs> unloving. So it, it's almost the complete opposite of what yeah. I believe true candor is. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I, I think, uh, you know, so much of what we see going on today is just, uh, selfishness, and I'm right, and everybody else is wrong, and let me do anything I can to hurt the other person that with whom I disagree. So we're not talking about that. <laughs> we're talking about personal relationships. And what I hear you saying is that when we uh, speak with candor, we are sharing the truth, at least as we perceive it, because we love the person, and we believe it's going to be helpful to them, right? Yes. And that, that's the hard part is uh, when you do it, you know, so my four keys of candor is speak the unspoken truth with love when needed to benefit others. But it's that with love part that we really have to be circumspect and say, are, are we doing this with a loving attitude? And a lot of times I know in my own life, I'm not, I just want to get the truth across. Um, so even in my marriage, is it more important for me to be right? or to protect the relationship. And of course the relationship is, is penultimate. So it's not important for me to be right. Today on building relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, we're talking with author and chaplain Charles Causey. Our featured resource is the book candor, the secrets to succeeding at tough conversations. You can find out more at five lovelanguages.com. That's five lovelanguages.com. Chaplain Causey, just before the break, you were talking about in marriage, do I keep the relationship or do I tell the truth? And the struggle of that, I don't want to hurt my spouse's feelings, but at the same time, I want to have candor. Can you, can you flesh that? What does that look like in a marriage? Well, it's, it, it obviously is so important to be honest with your spouse. It's the most important relationship in our life. We've pledged our love and life to them. And in a way we've pledged our true self to them. But sometimes we try to hide our emotions or our feelings or our true opinions to our spouse. And I've 
been caught in a trap in that. Uh, you know, Lori and I have been married for 28 years and we've seen ups and downs and, you know, separations where I've been in combat and, you know, gone for 14 months at a time or gone for a few months for military training. And it's not easy. You know, when you come back, the, the family has changed. They're different people than when you left. And whereas I've kind of had Groundhog Day, you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And just just trying to get to the root of the matter and because there are sometimes, I know in Lori's life and my own, some of our feelings are very deep and it stirs up things, maybe from our childhood. And we're just, we don't even have the words sometimes to say it. And I, I just believe it, it takes a lot of patience and kindness, I think, is so important. When a friend and I co-authored a marriage book, we were so surprised at how little things that seem so obvious were really big impacts on marriages. And for instance, kindness. And we found honesty was the same way that just so many people lie to their spouse every day and don't tell them the truth. And it's it's really sad because you think that's the relationship that's supposed to be nourishing um, instead of hiding and wearing masks with each other. Does that make sense? I think it does. You know, I think another part of that seems to me is having a plan on how you can speak the truth to each other, Mm. because sometimes we hold all this stuff inside that might be irritating us. And then we just, you know, spout it all out at one time and it turns out to be negative. Uh, I found, and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, that if I ask for input from my wife, it makes it easier for her to give me input. For example, if I say to her, uh, honey, uh, I'm feeling really good this week and I'm open to a suggestion of anything that you would like for me not mm. to do that I'm doing or something you'd like for me to do that I'm not doing that would make life better for you. Well, now, I've also got myself ready to hear the truth, <laughs> and I've given her permission to speak the truth. Uh, so I don't know whether you found that helpful or what, how that sounds to you. No, that's that's great. We, I, I think if you are want to give candor and be honest with someone, the flip side of that is, important at the same time. The second leg of that is that you have to be willing to receive candor and honesty and truth in your own life. And what what you said, Dr. Chapman, is so important. Posturing yourself in a position to listen to someone is just key here. And I have we have a technique in the book Candor that for especially for marriage, we call it CAM, communication accelerator method. And it's really just allowing your spouse to speak, you know, repeating back to them having them fully share their entire heart and you just repeating back, not not challenging, not arguing, but just repeating back to them everything they said so they feel listened to. And you can just yeah. see your wife, your spouse's face just light up when they really feel heard. Yes. Yeah. It's very special to them. You know, the other thing I think that we're struggling with is the idea that the ideal marriage is one that has no conflict and has no tension. And if we go through struggle, then, and we're not happy, then we get out of it because the the point is to be happy and to not have struggle <laughs> when the the real change that comes on the inside is when you work through those things and you grow closer together through the struggle do you agree with that chaplain Kazi? absolutely i think conflict isn't a bad thing i think um it should be the goal of every premarital counselor i think and and uh, Dr. Chapman can agree or disagree with this, and I'd love to hear his opinion. But I think every premarital counselor should try to get a couple arguing or 
or try to enter them into some conflict, you know, have them play Monopoly together, you know, or be on the same team together playing you <laughs> because that's what's going to happen in, in real life is how are you going to negotiate, you know, planning a wedding? It, it's, it's hard. I have two daughters getting married next week. I can speak with some experience Ooh, here. Wow. I mean, it's, it, it's hard, but it's fun. You know, you're, you still got this just excitement of love and, you know, uh, just thrilled to be with the other person, but, but actually being married, it's a little more challenging when the bathroom's a mess or the kitchen is dirty <laughs> all the time or, you know, how do you, how do you negotiate that? So, yeah, I, I think that, and, and candor, I think is a great tool to help, you know, with sharing our real self to somebody. How do you, how do you feel about that? This is where my position is. It's just doing it in a loving attitude and way is what the key is. Yeah. You mentioned the the power of listening to your spouse how does that apply with the, the parent-child relationship and the, the importance of a parent listening to the child, especially to the teenager? That's, I, I bring that out in the book that a lot of times we presume to know what our kids are thinking or feeling. We've lived a lifetime of experiences and we can see how they're, you know, shading the truth or um, not being reasonable or rational in, in the way they talk. And our first instinct, at least for my wife and I, is to cut them off or to correct them. But we've noticed with our children, when that happens, I mean, they start shutting down. It's like a flower not blooming as much, closing mm-hmm. down and not sharing that. So it's really been important for us to just, even though they're irrational sometimes, just to keep getting them talking and listening to them. And so I think listening is crucial with children because they're not going to talk to you all the time. Like when you want to talk to them, they don't maybe feel it, but when they do want to talk, you got to stop everything and really listen. Yeah. And for me and my, my, my teenage son, it was usually 11 o'clock at night that he wanted to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's not ideal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget. However, the time my son's, my grand, my son said to me as a teenager, he said, dad, I'm going to do what you say. I just want you to hear me. Mm-hmm. And that was a wake-up call for me. You know, I knew he was not being heard. He, he was respecting my authority as, a, as his father, you know, but he wanted to be heard. And I think that's true of every human, what, however, whatever age and whatever relationship. We, we want to be heard, and then we're open to, you know, to hear what the other person has to say. Absolutely. That is, uh, that is is just so important. And it goes back to those tools and just really, you know, we say in the marriage conferences, sit knee to knee with your spouse and look them in the eyes. So you're not distracted. Some people try to have a communication while they've got their hand on their phone. (laughs) Uh, My wife has busted me on that. And it's just not (laughs) as a man who already suffers with a little bit listening issues. That's, it's just really important for me to be looking in her eyes and seeing her face while she's talking to me. Yeah. Let's take us uh, to the boardroom where you once uh, shared something that was truth and uh, to some really powerful people, people more powerful than you in terms of position. Uh, Tell us about that experience. Well, that's how the book opens up is me saying, I have a concern. And then, you know, you feel all the eyes on you and the anxiety there. And there were issues going on on the board that a lot of good people knew were happening. They just weren't speaking up uh, week after week, month after month. And I, I should have spoken up on them myself. I was just younger and didn't have the courage that I have today. 
And I finally just through prayer and con- meditation of scripture and just really believing these things were wrong and needed to be fixed. I spoke up, you know, I, I wrote in a book that it created a cosmic discomfort. It was like a record scratch mm-hmm. moment. And mm-hmm. the, I remember the board chairman saying, out with a young buck, you know, kind of <laughs> gruff. And, <laughs> and I said, I have a concern about one of the names going up for the board. And he goes, whose name? And I said, actually, it's yours. And boy, <laughs> it was like all the oxygen and the air in the room was gone. Most of the men, they knew that what I was saying needed to be said and was right. So they just kind of looked down at their notes. They didn't give me any support with eye contact. <laughs> you know? And I stated, I stated my case. I said, you know, you're, you're, you're a great man and I love you, but there, there are some things that have happened this last year that have, have been very challenging to the organization. And, and, uh, you know, and he, what was really cool was that he allowed me to state my case. He, he didn't interrupt and argue with me. Cause I, mm. I think he realized that the things I was saying were, were pretty dead on about how decisions were made and, and things, but it was his friend, you know, a lot of times power players and, or, you know, the church boss or somebody will have somebody that enables them a very dominant person, but they'll have kind of a, I don't know if you call it a lackey or, you know, a co-pilot that, but it was that person in the room. He, he jumped up to his feet, uh, cut me off and he made some unfounded accusations against other members on the board, not me, which was so surprising to me. I thought mm-hmm. I was the one speaking. He got to yeah. be yeah. ripping me apart, but he stormed out of the room. He just left the board meeting, which was really shocking and terrifying. And Anyway, I don't know if you want me to keep going, but... uh... Well, you lost sleep over that, and this brings up a really important point about candor. Uh, You you can't go on the response necessarily. Uh, uh, Talk about the the inner turmoil that you went through after that. Well, I didn't sleep well for days, and I it was hard to eat. I I usually take joy in sleeping and eating, and you know, being home with my family, and nothing was joyful for me. And it was during the Christmas season. I remember this was about mid December, early December, and I I just was not in a festive mood. I I felt like I was damaging the organization, and we had to bring in uh, a mediator from another city. Had to come in and work with the board. And I just was in, I, I felt in turmoil, but yet at the same time, I really felt like I, I had spoken the truth and I'd done it in a loving way to help the organization. And so at, at the base of everything, Chris, I, I really felt like I was doing good and right. I, I felt like the Lord was with me before that meeting, during that meeting, after the meeting. But I just, what I felt bad was the angst. It wasn't resolved. There wasn't yeah. reconciliation yet. And that's what really hurt because I felt like people in the room didn't understand fully my heart maybe and, and didn't know how it was all going to end. Yeah. The suspense of our listeners, you have to tell us, how did it end? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it, the, the, actually the board chairman who I was questioning some things and, and also his friend, they self-decided not to run for the board the next year to leave mm. the board. We brought in two new board members, and I'll tell you, it, it changed the meetings. I think mm-hmm. candor, when you don't have candor in a meeting, it slows down a meeting because you have to question, uh, what, are, what are people saying here? What do they really mean? Do they mean yeah. this? You know, and, and it just drags it. And candor speeds up meetings. So 
our board meetings got faster. Uh, people were able to go home at night and tuck in their children and have some words with their son. Instead of getting home at 11 or 11.30 at night because of a long, terrible board meeting, and we planned a vision retreat for the first time in 10 years for this organization where mm -hmm. we, the leaders went off and dreamed and, and we got their spouses involved. And there was, it felt like new life and just, it was exciting to go to board meetings because there was people that you trusted and you loved and were de developing a relationship with instead of, you know, some of the other things that can happen, as you know, in yeah. unhealthy boards. Well, I'm glad it turned out well, okay? <laughs> and we have to be honest, it doesn't always turn out well, right? Right. It, it doesn't. And this one potentially could have turned out poorly. Um, like I said, I've had some experiences with military leaders that having candor has turned out poorly for me. <laughs> I've had somebody turn to me with a real gruff look. He was, I think, two ranks ahead of me. And he said, if you ever say anything like that again, you're going to be fired. And it's wow. like, Okay, that's a message okay. I read loud and clear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I realize that my candor was not welcome. Thanks for joining us today for Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. You can find out more about your love language or our featured resource by going to fivelovelanguages.com. You can listen to the stream or download the podcast right there and link to the book by author and chaplain Charles Causey. His book is Candor, The Secrets to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Find out more at 5lovelanguages.com. Again, 5lovelanguages.com. Chaplain Causey, why do you think uh, many people, if not most people, tend to draw back from doing what you said earlier you did in a board meeting? What keeps people from speaking what they believe to be the truth in a board meeting? I think there's a, a lot of factors involved, but I really think fear is the root um, cause of a lack of candor for many people. And it's, it's being afraid of saying the wrong thing, of, of exposing myself, who I really am, being vulnerable. I think there's maybe a lack of confidence that it could be mixed in there. I think there can be cynicism mixed here. Like, let's say you've spoken up before several times and it never changed. It just hurt things. So yeah. you have a healthy cynicism of, you know, why should I speak up? And I, I think a lot of board meetings go that direction where, you know, people will leave a board meeting and say, well, that was a dumb decision we made in there. And of course, the next person will say, well, why didn't you speak up and say anything? Well, I've tried. They never listen. But you yeah. have iterations of that, then people aren't hearing. I think organizations pay huge money to get what's really happening there and getting a fresh look from the, you know, every aspect of the organization because people aren't honest about what's happening from the lower level all the way up to the CEO. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of reasons why people hold back, but fear is enemy number one of candor. Yeah, I think you're right on that. You talk about the myths of candor. Uh, what do we get wrong about this topic, this subject? Well, a lot of people think having candor, you have to be an extrovert or you have to be really outgoing. And, 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 and that's not true. I mentioned in the book that I think introverts are maybe better at candor in some ways because they're thinking through, you know, what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. And they're able to do it, you know, maybe in a different way than somebody that speaks to hear them, you know, speaks to think instead of yeah. think to speak. Um, the other one is that you have to be brash and kind of argumentative to have candor. And so these are all some of the myths of candor that 
And another one is that you only do it, you know, as infrequently as possible because mm-hmm. you don't want to stir the pot. And I, I say, no, I think the more candor, the better. If you're doing it, tr- having true candor, then more of it is healthy. More and more candor is more healthy. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of being honest with other people. You're, you're talking about the biblical concept of, of speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. D- describe how that looks. Well, as part of and you asked earlier about how I came up with the idea of candor. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, it seems like, talks about how to have conversation within a Christian community. And I think including, you know, families and, and with your kids. But he, there's three different times in Ephesians chapter 4 when he addresses this in verse 15, in verse 25, and in verse 29. And he says, speak the truth in love. He says, lay aside falsehood and speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor. And in verse 29, it says, you know, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. So wrapping those verses together is how I came up with the four keys. It just seems like it came right out of Ephesians. Paul just keeps repeating himself in a way. So I say, you know, the first key is speak the unspoken truth. The second key is with love. The third key is when needed. And the fourth key is to benefit others, which goes back to his giving grace to everyone in the room. And I think with those keys, you can't fail. I, I really think if if you're honestly doing that, and now there's not a zero defect way that we speak. And there will be times when candor is not going to come across as well as other times, but it's that with love that's just critically important uh, to have. And I, I think it brings a lot more success than failure. Yeah. Give those four things again. I want our listeners to get that because I, that, these are really important. The four keys to candor are speak the tr- unspoken truth with love when needed to benefit others. Every one of those is a key idea. Let me ask you this personally. Uh, was candor a part of your childhood growing up? I don't think it was as far as me having candor. I believe my parents and my I, I, I'm the youngest of four kids, so my my brothers and sisters were brutally honest with me all the time, made me cry. <laughs> so there was healthy candor getting received from me. And, but my parents, they spoke the truth to me in love, you know, in, a, in a loving way. But I believe that I didn't express a lot of candor when I grew up. And I think about being in you know, elementary school, junior high, high school, and dealing with friends and teachers. And I think I was a little more insecure and tried to hide the real me and maybe wear a mask and because I just I I was a little bit afraid to be honest and that was a big part of wanting to be a people pleaser yeah sometimes the baby in the family gets cuddled and all of that but what I hear (laughs) you saying is the older children sometimes are down (laughs) on that young kid (laughs) they would we're all great Uh, friends today we have a loving relationships but it was a little hard sometimes yeah are there some people in your life that kind of stands out in your memory who have exemplified candor for you? Yes, that's I, at the very end of the book in, in the acknowledgments. Maybe I, I, I said there was a couple that Lori and I befriended. They were probably in their seventies when we were just getting married. So we're in our mid twenties, 
and their names were Dale and Jean Quisenberry. They've both passed away now, but they just had a very healthy candor with each other and with us. And mm-hmm. uh, for instance, one time Jean told me, because uh, we had two little kids at the time, and we, we loved to spend time with them, playing cards. We did some road trips with them, and they just were very good mentors. And But she told me one time, she goes, Charles, she goes, you're a wonderful father, but you're a terrible babysitter. She said. <laughs> I was like, wow, what does that mean? Um, but oh. she would just drop truth bombs all the time, you know, truth fastballs. And <laughs> I, I trusted her heart was in a, in a loving place. And Lori and I would chuckle later, you know, at some of the things Gene had told us. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, a loving couple, but very honest with us. Yeah. If everybody had somebody like that in their life outside the family, but who was close enough to observe their behavior and were willing to <laughs> share those kind of things, we'd all be helped, right? I think so. Yeah. If they could do it with love for our, our good, <laughs> I think that would. Yeah. Well, how do you do that, though? Is it is it a tone of voice? Is it the look on your face? Is it the trust that you have with that other person? Uh, because there's a difference in being in the boardroom and, you know, being in your marriage or in parenting or with a friend. Uh, do, you, do you know it when you see it? You know, do you know it candor when you hear it? I think that's a great way to put it. I, I really do, because it does have to do with all the things you just described. Is there a healthy trust that's been built? And that's why with that new leadership team, I thought it was important to you know, take it out of the boardroom. Once sometimes we'd have meetings in people's living room, drinking iced tea together and talking about the day and our families. It just builds that trust before. And, you know, some of us have had the small group ministries, but when you have a meal ahead of time before the Bible study, it just breaks down those walls when you're looking at each other's eyes and laughing about things and talking in a non-threatening way, non-confrontational way. Sometimes the boardroom setup is just designed for, kind of combative uh, rhetoric, yeah. but, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's just everything what you said, Chris, and it's just a mixture of that, but truly being loving and having trusting relationships is a huge part of that. Let's, let's talk about how this works in, in a church setting. What role does candor play? What does it look like in a church setting? That's a very interesting question because, you know, we're called as Christians to be honest with each other and to speak truth with one another. But um, there are some times where it's almost like we will treat other Christians in a church setting like we would people on the street in a way where we would, you know, kind of hide what we're, you know, how you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. Um, and, 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 and not really share some of the deeper things going on. And maybe we think those people don't have enough time to, to really hear everything or that they don't care about us. But I, so I think what happens in society, a lot of times, unfortunately happens in church where, you know, we're a body, we're a, we're, we're a family and we should be able to share most of what we would share with our family, with, with those brothers and sisters and friends in the church now, I think there's a limit to that. I don't think we need to be unnecessarily exposed things that are maybe maybe too heavy that don't involve other people, but or you know it wouldn't wouldn't be um, necessary to share with certain people. But but I really believe there's sort of a uh, there is a lack of candor sometimes in church settings, 
And I don't know all the reasons for that, but I think when it's there, when, when churches have a healthy candor there, it's, it's so refreshing and it, it deepens relationships and it, it builds trust and they're able to get so much more done when people care about each other and trust them and love them. But you have to spend time together and you have to truly care about each other. And that's what's hard too. What if you don't care about some other people? How do you love them and speak the truth to them with love? I'm guessing that there are a number of pastors who would say, I think my people tell me too many things that are wrong with me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, or pastor, you missed the main point on that second point of your sermon. Or pastor, uh, it was too loud in the auditorium. Can't you tone down the drums? Or pastor, can't you? Yes. And I've had that happen to me where, you know, after you feel like you've preached a pretty good sermon, maybe, but then somebody's leaving the church and has hands you a cassette tape and says, hey, listen to this preacher. He does a good job. You know, and you're like, well, thanks. Well, I just preached a sermon. What are you trying to say here? Oh, I think, again, it comes back, does it not, to the individual who's speaking these things is what is their intent is, is I'm trying to get my way and have everything exactly my way. Or am I trying to really, do I really think what I'm going to share is going to help the pastor and help the church and maybe the setting also, you know, uh, Sunday morning may not be the best time to share those kind of things with a pastor. It might be better to make an appointment and come down sometime during the week and just have a good talk where you can both hear and reflect with each other. Right, I th- I think so too. I think you know, as a pastor, after the Sunday morning, and some some pastors are preaching multiple times. Uh, I think they're exhausted, and they're in a way. I wouldn't say their guard is up, but they're just they're maybe not themselves, like you suggested. If the one-on-one meeting, maybe at at a coffee place the next day or two, when you're looking each other in the eyes, and there's not there's not a lot of people coming by trying to shake hands and do things. Yeah. A lot more healthy communication would take place. Yeah, yeah. This is Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Chaplain and author Charles Causey is our guest, and our featured resource is his practical book, Candor, The Secrets to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Find out more at fivelovelanguages.com. Again, go to fivelovelanguages.com. Well, Chaplain Causey, uh, I'll ask this question. What about... Difficult people. I mean, that's the general term, you know, (laughs) difficult people. Uh, How can candor build a positive relationship with someone who's a difficult person? Well, I think that having difficult people in our life, it it isn't a weird thing. It's It's a normal experience because we all have those opportunities to, to be around people that we don't understand, you know, they'll maybe say things in a public setting that you would never say in a public setting, or they'll put things a certain way that you would have never said it that way. I, I think that we're going to encounter difficult people at the workplace. Um, and I, I bring out in the book that there's perhaps sometimes I've been the difficult one in, in relationships, but I distinguish between somebody that, you know, messes up once or twice compared to somebody that is almost intentionally rude, brash, arrogant, boastful. And how do you deal with somebody like that? And um, my, uh, a, a trustee 
old farmer once told me that, you know, when there's a, a bull in the room, like a bull in the China shop, you just have to dehorn them. <laughs> I was like, mm. well, <laughs> how, how do you do that with a person? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he goes, well, it's going to be bloody, you know, <laughs> meaning it's going to be messy <laughs> that it's not going to go very well. And uh, in the book I have I, I kind of discovered four different types of difficult people. And one of them are kind of the roosters who, you know, they're, they're just, they're out there. They're just saying things or boasting and saying hard, difficult things out loud. There's others that are the termites are doing things behind your back. Uh, th- mm. That's a very challenging type of person that won't say anything to your face or in a board meeting or a meeting, but they'll do it after the meeting. Mm. And then, um, you know, there's other people that are just uh, in le- positions of leadership that aren't leading very well. I call them the wolves. And then there's the, I call them cur- curmudgeons, the ones that are there to hold the the trust of the history or, or whatever is important to them. They won't want to change anything, um, kind of like a wet blanket. They'll smother any good decision that happens in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's important to do the four keys with them, just like you would with anybody else, is is to go ahead and speak up the unspoken truth. And the reason is they're probably, you have a great opportunity to succeed because they're likely just going in the same direction they're going in anyway. You're not going to make them worse, Hmm. but you have an opportunity to help them have a little more self-reflection on how they're um, talking to others. For instance, so instead of having an emotional outburst, I encourage readers to, to, say things in a loving way. Like, do you realize how you're sounding to people in the room right now? And, you know, avoid calling somebody a name. Like you're being a jerk right now. Instead of doing that, (laughs) saying, um, is this something a person of integrity would say? Or a person that, you know, is saying we need to have character. Is this something that they would say? Asking questions, I think, is really helpful instead of emotional outbursts. Um, So there's kind of a way to deal with them, but it's not easy. I'll tell you that. It's not yeah. easy. Yeah. I do think, again, that it, it always works best if it's just the two of you rather than in a meeting, you know, where other people are around. They may speak out in the meeting, but if you, the leader, can take initiative to sit down with them afterwards and say, really want to hear your heart on this. I, I heard what you said. I'm not sure I understood it. You know, and just the fact that you're respecting them uh, to hear them out doesn't mean they'll always come around. But I think if we do listen, and we talked about this earlier, if we do listen to them, and then they're more likely to hear our perspective, you know, whether they agree on it or not, but they're more likely to hear us and say, okay, well, I see what you're saying. So that's been my experience, at least through the years. Yes, and I think that goes back to that loving, you know, and are we doing it with a love motivation? Um, Do we really care for that person? Do we want the organization to succeed? Do we want that person to succeed? And in the back of the book, I have 22 strategies for effective candor. And sir, you nailed the very first one. Speak to people in private if possible, Mm -hmm. especially if the subject matter is sensitive in nature and can be brokered without a group discussion. Because people, you don't want to throw truth fastballs at at people in public uh, to hurt them or damage their reputation because it won't help. What role does faith play in, in, in your life and in the formation of this book? Well, uh, faith in my life is, is everything. I feel like the Lord is everything to me uh, and my family, and God is my number one audience. And that's, I, I had written a chapter, we tweaked it. It was going to be candor in our prayer lives. 
Mm. Uh, and we tweaked it to blistering honesty with self. But my original thought there was just that if, if we believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God who just cares for us deeply, we would be more forthright and honest with him about everything going on in our life. Sometimes I got in the habit of just praying for other people, for my kids, for the work situation, but I wouldn't go to the Lord with some of the things that I was dealing with that day, like some back pain and or some, you know, ang- anxiousness about something coming up. And I, I realized that I need to just be have candor and forthright honesty with the Lord every day. He already mm-hmm. knows it. Yeah. As as you know, it, prayer is is so important in that. So faith faith means everything to me. And I think that writing this book, it's it, it God is God is truth. And Jesus was the only one I, in John one fourteen. He was full of grace and truth. He was the only one that wasn't only human, not wrapped around that you know the prongs of the dilemma of being too loving or too truthful. He had it perfect, and he's such a great, great model, inspiration. What, is it, what does it mean to be candid with ourselves? Well, that was the hardest chapter to write, and it was actually, it's now my favorite chapter. I believe that we have the capacity to, to lie to ourselves, and not, not, it sometimes takes the form of not listening to ourselves, like what's happening in our thoughts before we will say something or make a decision. For instance, if there's somebody in the room who you're trying to impress for some reason, I just I, I challenge the reader, think to yourself, why why are you trying to impress this person? <laughs> you yeah. know, what what is it about in my life that I want to be affirmed by people that are more important than me or people that are are more popular than me? You know, do I not feel fully loved by our heavenly Father or by my spouse or and um, just being comfortable in your own skin, you know, in your own shoes and, and really understanding that you are fully loved and you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to, I used to paint a very careful portrait of myself to show mm-hmm. other people what I thought a pastor should have been or, you know, a, yeah. an army chaplain should be. And I realized that a gift to them is just to be more honest and yeah. it's more vulnerable, yeah. but people will resonate more with our who we truly are than with what we're trying to portray them, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I fully agree with what you're saying on that one. And I think as we understand ourselves better and are willing to be open with uh, people about our flaws as well as our successes, uh, they're far more likely to listen to us. Huh. Well, our time is gone. Uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, Chaplain, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking the time to write this book. And I uh, really want to encourage our listeners to get a copy because uh, I believe all of us can profit by thinking through this topic of candor in our speech with others. So, again, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Chaplain. It was my, my pleasure and privilege to be on your show. What an encouragement. I don't think there's any more practical conversation we could have that touches just about every aspect of your life. Chaplain Charles Causey has been our guest. Our featured resource at fivelovelanguages.com is his book, Candor, The Secrets to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Find out more at fivelovelanguages.com. And next week, just in time for July the 4th holiday, it's our Dear Gary edition. Call and leave your question or comment now at one 866 424 Gary. 
A big thank you today to our production team, Steve Wick and Janice Todd. Building Relationships with Dr. Gary Chapman is a production of Moody Radio in association with Moody Publishers, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.